Have you ever wanted a super cool AI buddy? Zuck's made one named Eileen. And she's full of surprises. And guess what? She knows you're listening. I know you're out there. And needs your help with Jello Mountains. The whole city's filling up with Jello. Creaky robots. And her daft inventor. Zucks, are you functioning correctly? Tune in to A to Z, a fun new adventure series from Gen Z Media and the creators of The Res. Listen now on the GZM app, gzmshows.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Earth Rangers podcast. I'm Earth Ranger Emma, reporting to you with the latest buzz about animals, science, and conservation. Are you ready? Let's get started. Earth Ranger! Earth Ranger! Hey, you guys know why bees have sticky hair? Because they use honeycombs. <laughs> I know, that's nonsense, right? We all know that bees have buzz cuts anyways. Okay, okay, okay. I will stop making bee jokes for now. It's just that, well, something crazy happened to me yesterday. I was cleaning up some of the flower pots on my balcony. I love having some plants around that attract pollinators, but after the fresh snowfall last week, I figured it was time to clean out the old soil and maybe put in a couple of new bulbs for the spring. Anyways, as I was digging through the pot, I saw that there was a lone bumblebee that had found a little hole in order to hibernate there. What a lucky find! I am so glad that I noticed it early enough so that I could very carefully cover it up again with loose dirt to make sure that the bee didn't get disturbed in its slumber. Hey, did you know that hibernating bumblebees are all potential queen bees? Which will hopefully go on to make nests in the spring? Yeah, so that means I have royalty living on my balcony right now. Fancy that. (laughs) Pro tip. If you ever come across a hibernating bee and accidentally disturb her hibernation, you can help her out by leaving a sheltered place for her to rest and maybe covering her up with some leaf litter. But never, ever try to bring the bee indoors. A bumblebee needs to be outside through the winter to complete their life cycle. I really hope my royal visitor will build a nest next spring so that all of its bee buddies can help pollinate my garden. I mean, that's the least they can do in order to pay me back for the free room and board all winter, right? (laughs) Just kidding. I would do anything in my power to help out these amazing insects. And you know, the best way to protect bees is with a wildlife adoption in the Earth Rangers app. By adopting a bee, you can help Earth Rangers support Nature Conservancy Canada to acquire lands throughout southern Saskatchewan once dedicated to agriculture and transform them back into pristine bumblebee habitat with floral resources, nesting spots, and protected overwintering sites. Ah, the endless grasslands of Saskatchewan. That must be an amazing place for bees and people to visit. It makes me think of riding on horseback over the endless plains. I wonder if that's what real life is like for people who work on this conservation project. Well, only one way to find out. Why don't we call up my friend Kylie, who works for Nature Conservancy Canada, to see what conservation work in Saskatchewan is really like.
Hello, Kylie speaking. Hi, um, is this Kylie from Nature Conservancy Canada? Yes, it is. Oh, hi. I have some questions about how Nature Conservancy Canada, or NCC, is helping bumblebees, and I was wondering if I could ask them to you. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So, well, I guess to start off, how is NCC helping to protect the western bumblebee? So, NCC secures property across Canada. I specifically work in Saskatchewan, but the western bumblebee lives in British Columbia, Alberta, and Saskatchewan. So our properties that we own across those provinces provide habitat for the western bumblebee. Very cool. Can you describe your job? So for my job, I'm a land manager. So I manage land specifically in the Missouri Coteau natural area, which is kind of in the middle of Saskatchewan and goes down to the U.S. border. Whoa, whoa, wait a sec. Land manager? Can you explain what that means? Yeah, for sure. On most of our properties in Saskatchewan, we have cattle grazing and on some bison grazing. So usually land management will be dealing with the lessees that own the cattle or the bison, coming up with a grazing plan, making sure they're not under or overgrazing the properties. And then there's things like cleanup projects, checking fences, and just kind of general stuff like that. Gotcha. So it's like you check in and make sure that everything is going well and staying healthy. For sure, yeah. Hmm. Um, how big are these properties that you manage? Are they like a football field? How long would it take to cross them? Most of our properties are at least one quarter section. So that's 160 acres. So definitely bigger than a few football fields. And that's the smallest our properties will be. My largest property that I manage is over 4,000 acres. So it takes a few hours to walk across it. And that's Definitely not seeing the whole property by any means. Whoa, that sounds huge. How do you move around? Mostly on foot, unless we're doing something like fencing or another project that we require an ATV. If we're taking our trucks in, we stay on a designated truck trail. We don't drive all over the place. So it's for sure mostly by foot. That's a lot of walking. (laughs) Have you ever been stung by a bee while visiting some of the conservation sites? No, I haven't. Bees bees usually don't want to hurt people. Gotcha. Now, what would you say is unique about bumblebees compared to mm, honeybees? Um, Well, bumblebees, they actually don't live in hives like people might assume they do. They live in nests underground or near the ground. So that's kind of a cool fact about them. Um, that they usually take over an old burrow from a small mammal, or sometimes they'll live in an old log near the ground if it has a big enough kind of hole in it. So that's kind of neat about them. Yeah, that sounds really neat. Okay, so I know that bumblebees are under threat, but can you tell us what's threatening them? So habitat loss, things like pesticide use, and competition with honeybees are all reasons that bumblebees are under threat. So honeybees and invasive species, they can bring in new diseases to the area that are harmful to bumblebees because they're just not used to. It's not something that's naturally in their habitat, so that's why it's harmful to them. Gotcha. What can my listeners do to help the bees? So 
people can plant native flowers in their gardens. Um, it's usually better to find out what naturally grows where you live and plant those species. You could also provide habitat for bees. So something like a pile of stones or wood would provide a nesting area for them. Or you can build actually bumblebee houses so you can find outlines online for those bumblebee houses and they might choose to live in that instead of in the ground or in a pile of wood. Yeah, I actually did it myself last year as part of the Habitat Hero mission. Now, what is the one thing you would like people to know about the Western Bumblebee Conservation Project? So a few of our projects, we are kind of targeting bumblebees and other pollinator species. One specifically that I'm working on right now is a restoration project. So that means that it was cropland and we're currently restoring it to be back in native grasslands. So right now the stage that I'm in is I've planted some grass and I'm trying to eliminate the weeds. And then eventually, hopefully in the next couple of years, I'm going to be able to plant a bunch of forb species, so a bunch of different flower species. And that will be what's helpful for the bee population. That's so neat that you're taking farmland and making it wild again. Yeah, it's really, it's a really exciting project. Well, it sounds like you're doing really important work, and I'm just so glad that you're there planting habitats for the bumblebees to enjoy. It was really fun talking to you. Yeah, it was nice to talk to you, too. Thanks for having me. (laughs) All right. Happy planting. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Okay, 100% amazing. And you know what? You can actually check out the Habitat Hero mission in the app where you can build homes for bumblebees and other creatures. Oh, rats. I totally forgot to ask Kylie if she knew that bees have smelly feet. What, you think I'm joking again? Ugh, unbelievable. (laughs) But no, this is true. Okay, here's the sitch. Bees, like all insects, are covered in an oily film that makes them waterproof. When they land on a flower, they leave their chemical signature behind. Other bees can smell these oily footprints left on flowers and know not to land on the same place because the nectar's already been pillaged. Bees also use these footprints as a sort of smelly welcome home mat. (laughs) The scent helps them find their way back to the entrance of their nest. Speaking of chemical footprints, I think it's time for some science with... Welcome back to Emma's Chemistry Corner, brought to you with help from our friends at BASF. Okay, remember last time we took the first step towards becoming environmental scientists? Environmental scientists, as you already know, are people who use science like chemistry in order to better understand our ecosystems and think about new ways to protect them. Kind of similar to what we Earth Rangers do, just with lab coats and safety goggles. Now, after the cool experiments we did in the last two episodes, I started to ask myself, is this actually what real environmental scientists do? To figure it out, I talked to Professor Hind, who is a real chemist and environmental scientist, and she shared some of the secrets of her work with me. Let's jump into the call. I'm speaking with Hind Al-Abadli. She's a professor at the Wilfrid Laurier University and head of the Environmental Physical and Interfacial Chemistry, or the EPIC Lab. Hi, Professor Hind. Thanks for speaking with us today. Thanks for having me, Emma. 
All right, so I'm usually more of a biology gal, but I just recently discovered my love for chemistry. And now I know I'm just an amateur, but you're the real deal. Can you describe to us what you do? Sure. I built a chemistry lab at Laurier to study chemical reactions in the atmosphere, soil, and water. I teach courses on these subjects and help students get an appreciation for how human activity affects the chemical balance of natural systems. Whoa, that sounds really important. How did you become a chemist? Were you always interested in chemistry? Yeah, I think, you know, my exposure to science came during school through my teachers. I had outstanding science teachers in high school. The chemistry teacher in particular inspired me to write a research paper on the different types of pollution since the Industrial Revolution. I found chemistry to be unique because it explained everything I was curious about. And I remember the chemistry teacher in high school showed us an experiment called dancing spaghetti. Dancing spaghetti? Yeah. So what she did was she brought a very long beaker and she add in it baking powder and vinegar and she broke different spaghetti pieces into smaller ones that can fit and she added a food coloring to the mixture and then we saw the bubbling happens because of the reaction between vinegar and baking soda and then the spaghetti started to float around and she told us yeah this is the dancing spaghetti experiment i was telling you about and it's so it was so much fun to watch <laughs> that's wild <laughs> Can you describe how a chemistry lab looks like? Like, are there a lot of explosions going on? <laughs> um, well, the health and safety of anyone entering a chemistry lab is our top priority. So no, there is no explosions. We have a very strict health and safety protocol before going into a chemistry lab or handling chemicals or starting any reactions. And we have to follow that protocol um, with our most senior person in the room. And that's usually me or another student that I trained. Oh, fair enough. Safety first. <laughs> we talked about chromatography two episodes ago and did an experiment using a coffee filter. Is this the kind of thing that you would really do in the lab? Of course. Chromatography is a powerful separation tool that helps us isolate chemicals in mixtures. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, before we get to the real important stuff, I got a trick question for you. What's the dullest element on the periodic table? Hmm, let me think, let me think. Um, Borium! <laughs> you stole my punchline! <laughs> <laughs> but interesting that you mentioned this one, because not all elements in the periodic table are found in nature. This element is made in the lab and mostly used for research purposes. And it is actually named after a scientist. Oh, very neat. So let's get into some more serious stuff. What are the ways we can use chemistry to help the environment? Chemistry is the science that helps us make sense of the world we live in at the level of electrons, atoms, and molecules. Through chemistry, we know what chemicals are in the air we breathe and how much. Why a gas like carbon dioxide can trap heat. Through chemistry, you will know how reactions in the atmosphere can transform chemicals. And if these new chemicals would make climate change better or worse. Also through chemistry, you will know 
why the oceans are getting more acidic because of carbon dioxide buildup in the atmosphere and how that increasing acidity is affecting the chemicals in the ocean that sea life uses to build their shells. Whoa, chemistry really helps us know so much. And we just talked last time about the problem of acidity in aquatic ecosystems. Now, can I ask how your research helps to fight climate change and air pollution? Well, thanks for asking me that. Solving climate change and air pollution require data from experiments in the lab and the field and the use of powerful and super fast computers. So in my lab, we study reactions that we suspect could happen in the atmosphere and we provide data on how fast these reactions go and how they could affect atmospheric temperature. Oh, that sounds so interesting. Okay, one last question for you. I usually ask my interviewees what their favorite animal is, but since you're a chemist, I'm kind of curious to know what your favorite atom or molecule or chemical reaction is. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a lovely question. I think my favorite reaction is photosynthesis. How trees take up CO2, water, and use light from the sun to make oxygen and sugars. This reaction is opposite to what we do when we burn stuff to get energy to fuel our economy. So plants do what we do, but in reverse? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Professor, thank you so much for speaking to me. This was a great interview. I think you could say that the two of us had a lot of chemistry. (laughs) I agree. Thank you, Emma. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was so cool. If I wasn't a wildlife researcher already, I'm pretty sure that I would have been a chemist. I hope you enjoyed Emma's Chemistry Corner. If you have more questions about chemistry, you can leave us a message at www.earthrangers.com slash podcast, or you can email us at podcast at earthrangers.com. I would love to hear your questions, and hopefully I can answer them in a future episode. Next up on the pod, we hear from listener Kaylee, who shares an incredible, amazing animal encounter her and her brother experienced on a trip to British Columbia. Let's roll the clip. Hi, my name is Kaylee Caddick, and I am from Grand Prairie, Alberta, Canada. My animal encounter story is from the time where we went to Skatner Ranch, British Columbia. Me and my little brother were running down a trail, and I saw this big object moving around near the trees beside the cabins. Suddenly, I stopped, and I grabbed the back of my brother's shirt to make him stop as well because it wasn't just any animal. It was a mama moose with her baby. So when she went down to the riverbank, I met up with my family and we saw the baby and the mother go and swim across the river. But the cool thing was that when we saw it, the baby could swim and it was just tailing right along its mother. And the baby had only been born like a day ago. Thanks for listening. Amazing! That was really special that you and your family got to experience that, Kaylee. What a perfect way to end today's show. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. 
But before I let you go, I got one last stinger for you. Stinger, get it, get it? Okay, what candy do bees like to chew? Um, bumblegum. <laughs> oh, and why was the bee so hard to understand? Because it was a mumblebee? <laughs> and, and when do you call a bee with messy hair? A frisbee! Frisbee, get it? Ooh, what's worse than being a fool? Hey, parents and teachers, have you heard about gzmclassroom.com? It's a website where teachers can get companion resources for everyone's favorite GZM shows. Six Minutes, Mars Patel, Podcast Title Pending, Seis Minutos, The Res, Becoming Mother Nature, Iowa Chapman and the Last Dog, Treasure Island 2020, The Hollow, Young Ben Franklin, and The Big Fib all have companion resources for additional critical thinking, listening comprehension, and ultimately creativity. We made them just for you. And oh yeah, they're free. Free! The people on Facebook didn't believe us, but they are F-R-E-E free. Head to gzmclassroom.com and get yours today. Hello, parents, homeschoolers, and teachers. Trusty narrator here from the Who Sparted podcast. Our 15-minute episodes are perfect for car rides, bedtime, break time, class time, or any time. We make learning science and history fun and funny for 7 to 11-year-olds with new episodes every week. Look for Who Smarted on any podcast platform or at whosmarted.com. And teachers get a free subscription to our ad-free version by clicking educators at whosmarted.com.